0: Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation.
1: Would you go to the book of Malachi, we have been in a, a series that we've just started called The Other Side of Worship. And we're going to go to Malachi chapter, chapter 1. Because the question we're asking is, I mean, do, do you really understand, do you fully understand what worship is? Do you really understand? Because we know what Sunday morning worship looks like. And in fact, as my dad mentioned before, um, we may not have had worship up until by 8.30 this morning. We weren't going to have any worship. And so, you know, we've idolized it so much that it only looks like this when the scripture's clear, that there's many other ways of worship. It's not just raising hands. It's not just shouting. Man, I like to raise my hands and I like to shout. And if my dad would let me, I'd like to dance a little bit. <laughs> He'd he let me. I just don't want to embarrass myself. So I, I'm all about that, but there's so much more to that. And the book of Malachi is challenging us to kind of rethink, to reevaluate, to realign, to readjust all that God is doing in the context of worship and what it looks like He's wanting to, to kind of bring back uh, Israel to, to, to really to what it was supposed to look like, what genuine lifestyle worship looks like. There's a whole other side than this, than just what we do here on this stage, right? And so in Malachi chapter 1, um, I'm going to start in verse 6. And, you know, we're going to go verse by verse. Is that okay? But not right now. Not right now. I'm going to get there. I'm just going to read you three verses, and then we'll, and we'll, we'll pray. But this is verse 6 of Malachi chapter 1. It says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. But it is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Verse 7 says, you place defiled food on my altar. You know, verse 11 goes on to say, "'My name will be great among the nations, "'from the rising to the setting to the sun, "'and every place incense and pure offerings "'will be brought to my name, because of my name.'" Come on, somebody say his name. His name will be great among the nations. You know, it was in 512 BC that the temple was built. But years later, we would find a, a group of people who were, who were venturing off further and further away from God they didn't even know how to, to give pure worship anymore. In fact, they, they, were, they were giving cheap worship to God because they didn't even know that God loved them. That was the question we answered yes uh, last week was, God, do you really love us? And God's like, of course I love you. Look what I've done for you. But not only that, look how differently I have treated you. You know, I think at times we find ourselves questioning, does God really love me? And what we need to do is go back to what he's done for you. But not only that, we needed to go back to the, what the Bible says who God is. And that his name will be great amongst the nations forever and ever and ever. So regardless about how you feel or what you're experiencing, God is still to be honored. Amen. And so uh, the people were like, well, you know, if you love us, God, well, I do love you. Let me show you. And now they're saying, well, um, you're saying that we we don't honor you. But how have we not honored you? How have we defiled this worship that you say that we're bringing to you? H- how have we, how have we uh, cheapened what we're bringing to you? And God's like, it's, un- it's unacceptable. What you're doing is you're, you're throwing a bunch of trash at me. You're bringing me what's left over. You know, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were invited to a party, and uh, they told us that we needed to bring a side dish. I don't even know what a side dish is. I'm not a cook. So when you tell me to bring a side, what do you want me to bring? Some, you know some broccoli, you know, what, 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 some corn. Like, what are you I got three kids at home. I don't know how to cook, all right? We have a busy schedule. And so we were, some of you were at this party, so you may remember this, but I, I was, my parents' house, and they had a leftover bag of popcorn from Costco, though. So, you know, it's, it's better. And we didn't have time to, to make a side dish of some lasagna or whatever, something homemade, so we just brought a leftover bag. I, I did that. Not my wife. She's like, we can't do this. And I was like, yes, we can. We can. They're not going to know. We'll make it look good. We'll put it in a little glass bowl. And that's what we did. And, and nobody, nobody ate the popcorn except me because it was just leftovers. Man, I just wonder um, how many of us, that's, that's the kind of stuff we bring to God. We don't have really much, or we don't have a lot, or I don't want to spend too much money. What do we got left over in the cabinet? What do we got left over in the bank? What do we got left over in our energy bank? What do we got left over on Sunday morning when we're coming to church? It's not really anything. Just bring, bring that. What kind of honor is that, church? What kind of honor to God is that? And so if you're taking notes this morning, because we are note-takers here at VLC, if you're watching it online, grab out something to put, put something on paper. I want you to write down the title this morning, and it is Giving... God less than your best giving God less than your best aka you can put a little in parentheses. stop being cheap okay let's pray Father thank you for today thank you for who you are thank you for your son thank you that we get to be in a place like this and we can worship you thank you that you are good despite tragedy that may happen amongst us and around us you are still on the throne you are still good would you speak to us today to your word Would you allow it to change us and challenge us and encourage us as well so that we can walk out of these doors and we go back into our homes, we go back into our jobs, and and we can be an example. We We can be the salt and the light. I pray that today, this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said in one loud voice, amen. Do me a favor, turn to the person next to you and tell them, stop being cheap. Stop being cheap. Let me let me kind of set, give a little bit more context to what's going on here for, um, for you today. And if you need to take down some notes, and it's a little too dark in here, we could bring the lights up just a little bit so you can. So some of you can write some things down, and some of you can read your Bible because we're going to read from the Bible. You know, it's safe to assume that the Jews are under the Persian governance. In fact, we'll we'll hear that in verse six. But the temple was built in 516 BC, but it started roughly 20 years before that. And they never finished. And and this was the issue because now you had somebody by the name of Zechariah and Haggai who were coming to the Israelites saying, Come on, you've got to build this temple. You're so focused on building your homes and your businesses, but you've neglected the house of the Lord. So you, you got to return. Somebody say return. You got to return to the fact that you got to keep, come on, you got to keep building you got to keep working on it. The temple of the Lord must be established. And so that's why Haggai and Zechariah show up. So the temple is finally built, but now they're still un- unsure about what's been promised to them. It hasn't come as quickly as they thought or they wanted. And so now, they're, now this is where Malachi shows up, and he's like, I've got to address all this questioning. You, you, got, you guys have a lot of questions that you're asking. And so I, I need to speak into this a little bit. By the way, Malachi was the last voice that God would use before John the Baptist. And God is asking Malachi to call out these people for cheap worship. Now, that wouldn't want to be a task I'd want to do to show up in a church and say, Oh, this is, well, this is inaccurate. This is, this is not of God. But Malachi, who, who approached this in a unique manner saw fit to knowing what they were already thinking, ask the questions for them. Don't you love when people do that? They ask the questions for you so you don't have to ask the questions. This is great. And then you realize like, man, these questions, the answers that I should be giving aren't the answers that God is wanting. Well, why were you asking these questions for us, Malachi? Is probably what they're thinking. But this is what Malachi does. He starts to ask these questions. He starts to call them out on what God is saying about their sin, sin that is still unfortunately with us today. So I want to answer three questions for you this morning. Number one, who is God speaking to? Because that's going to be important in this, in this case. Number two, why is God so upset? And number three, what is, what is our response? How should I respond to right here, Malachi chapter 1, verses 6, and we're going to read up to verse 14. So, so let's look at who. Now, we read it in verse 6, at the very end of verse 6, and I'll get back to the beginning of verse 6, but the end. Um, God says, it's you, O priests, who have showed contempt for my name. So, so who is he talking to? The, the priests. This is who God is addressing this matter right here too, Because instead of living in such a way that was honoring God, they were defiling what they were supposed to be bringing. And it wasn't necessarily the, the quantity, but it was the quality. And he says, he says look what you're doing. You, you're guilty of breaking the very law's that you're not supposed to just only obey, but you as a priest, you are supposed to teach. Now, how many of you would agree with me that the people who are on the pulpit, the pastors of our church, that, that office in Scripture is supposed to be held to a higher standard? How many of you would agree with that? It's Scripture. If you don't agree with it, it's Scripture. The, the, the priests of the church, the pastors of the church are held to a higher standard. Because if you're going to sit under somebody and allow God to use them to speak to you, you're going to want to make sure not only, one, that the word of God is in them, but also that the call and the anointing of God is upon them. Now, certainly I can speak to anybody, but in the office of pastor, you're going to want to make sure that person is held to a higher standard and as well as being an example. Look at James chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Not many of you should be teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And everybody who's not a teacher said amen to that. First Peter 5.3, he's speaking to the pastors and the shepherds of the, of the church. And he's talking about the authority that they have. And he said, you've got to be careful not to lord it over those that have been entrusted to you. It goes on to say, but being examples. This is First Peter 5.3. It says, but by being examples. Somebody say example. By being examples to the flock. Could you just imagine for a moment That we were up here saying, you know, you guys need to stop lying and stop cheating. But yet we were over here lying and cheating. Imagine if we said, you guys need to stop getting drunk. Yet on Saturday nights, we were out here getting plastered before we came up and preached. What would your response be to that? Imagine if we said, you guys need to start giving more. In fact, when we, talk about, when we talk about the tithe, it's essential that you tithe, yet I'm over here, maybe my dad's over here, questioning how much we should tithe, and if really we should tithe at all. Because, because that's what happened. That's not setting a great example, is it? That's not, you're not now motivated to, to do what the pastor tells you to do because the pastor is operating in a hypocritical spirit. And, and that's what the priests were doing. Not only were they being hypocritical, about what they were supposed to be doing and what they said they were going to be doing. But what it began to do is alter the scriptures and the principles that they were teaching. Because that's often what happens when you become a hypocrite. Now, let me say this. They weren't teaching something that was super legalistic. What they were teaching was more on the liberal side of things. They they, they were permitting people to bring less than their best. We know what God is required, but um, it's okay if you don't bring to God what is required. Now let's pause there for just a moment because this hypocritical spirit that many of us have lived in or lived by, certainly we have seen people walk in these hypocritical spirits. Can I tell you what begins to happen and what that can lead to? Because you could find yourself becoming so hypocritical that you actually start to alter the things that you are being hypocritical towards, which now begins to alter the things that you live by. And therefore what I said I was gonna do and I don't do it, but I say I'm gonna do it, at some point over months and months and years and years, you actually start to align your theology with how you live. Therefore now what I do is actually what God is calling me to do, when really it's very far from what God has called you to do, but because you've been so hypocritical, you've been preaching a message for so long, you've started to align your theology with how you live, rather than aligning how you live with the theology. And that's a very dangerous place to be. That's certainly not a place that I'd want to be. That's certainly not a place where our our priests and our our pastors should be. Because you, you, you hold convictions, convictions you clearly don't live by, and now you begin to fit those convictions into what you live by, how you talk, how you speak, what you do. Now, why is this so important for Malachi to be calling out the priests? Because everything the priests do trickles down to everything everybody else does. If, if you're the leader of the church and you're not setting the example, well, then guess what? We're not going to have a congregation that is going to be examples to the world. If you find a healthy congregation, you might find a healthy pastor. If you find a healthy pastor, you might find a healthy congregation. Can we agree to that? And if it's not, you're not going to see that last very long. This is why, parents, you are to set the example to your kids in speech in devotion to God and how you treat other people because your kids are watching you. If you're a boss in here, this is why it's so important that you set the example in how you serve people and how you build other people up and how you don't cheat on your business dealings because people are watching. And a lot of my theology or a lot of my ideology or how I live or how I act is because of how my parents did it, right? And whether that's good or whether that's bad, that's just the truth. And so we've got to be setting the example. Malachi is looking at the priest. He's saying, you've done wrong. You haven't set the example that God has strictly lined out in Scripture. In fact, you've been setting an example that is far worse. And here's where we come to. Why is God addressing the priests? Why is he calling them out? Let's go to verse 6, and let's read this. He says, a son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? It is you, priest, who show contempt for my name. Why do you so, show such little respect? If I'm your father, if, if I'm your master, why don't you honor me? Clearly, there is a lack of reverence here. Clearly, there is a lack of respect here. But they respond. Well, they say, but, but how have we shown contempt for your name, God? And he says, because you've offered defiled food on my altar. Well, what do you mean, how, how have we defiled you and your altar? You, by saying that the Lord's temple is contemptible, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Listen, here's how you have how not honored my name. Because you have polluted what you have brought to me. Your offerings have been polluted. Again, God isn't so concerned about the quantity right now. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, we're going to get to the quantity. And what the Bible says about that. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. And I won't tell you when we're going to talk about it. Because I don't want you not to show up. Because we're going to talk about money. okay? But today we're talking about quality. God says you, you've polluted the offerings. What you're bringing to me. The quality of what you're bringing to me. Isn't what I've asked. Now, now what's an offering. Can we dive a little bit deep into to what an offering is. you, you got to go back to the Old Testament. Which we're reading right now. But you got to go back a little bit further. Which we will. In the Old Testament there were offerings. There were sacrifices that we had to present to God. Most of those offerings and sacrifices look like sacrificing an animal in honor of God, whether it was, then there's a few, right? You have burnt offerings. You, 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 have, um, you have peace offerings. You have grain offerings. Those were acts of worship or, or expression to devotion. Those were acts of thanksgiving. But those three were mandatory. Or, excuse me, voluntary. But there were two that were mandatory, and that was a sin offering and a trespass offering. And a sin offering was saying, God, forgive me my sins. Here's an animal that I'm going to slaughter, and I'm going to present it to you as a sacrifice, as an offering. That's what the people would have to do. They would have a trespass offering when they sinned against somebody else. Each involved certain elements, whether it was fruit, whether it was animals. And they had to do something with it. There was like strict guidelines on, on how you, I know this is for you animal lovers out there, this is not good to talk about slaughtering animals, but this is what they had to do. They had to bring their best, one without any blemish, one without any spots. There was something you had to do with the blood. There was something you had to do with the heart. There was something you had to do with the kidneys. I mean, it, it was all detailed in the scripture. But, but, but here's what's happening, because, because now you've got people who are bringing things that, that are, are with blemishes, That are with faults, and God's like, I don't, I don't honor this, it has to be perfect. Which would foreshadow, which is crazy, God is so good. He he would foreshadow what would what would what would come. His son Jesus, who would die on a cross for you and for me. And he was the perfect, spotless lamb. Uh, How do we know that? Many ways, because we know it says it in scripture. But there were two thieves. In the book of Luke, who sat next to Jesus on those crosses, and one of them said, "Um, you deserve this, Jesus. But the other said, well, he didn't deserve it. This is what it says in, in Luke chapter 23, verse 41. He says, we're punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Again, presenting an offering for the sake of humanity that was without blemish, that was spotless, that was pure. Now, thank God we no longer have to bring animal sacrifices to the Lord. Amen? Thank God we don't have to slaughter any cows or slaughter any oxen or slaughter any, you know, goats. or Maybe, maybe some goats are good. But, you know, maybe you don't have to do all that stuff. Thank God we don't have to do that. But we still bring things to God, right? We still offer things to God. And, and you know, we seek repentance. We seek forgiveness. But there's still things that we bring to him. There's, there's still things in Scripture that he, he requires. But look at verse 7. He says, You've offered defiled food on my altar. He looks to the priest and he says, presenting what is good, presenting what is important is no longer a requirement for you. You've just just told yourself that you don't even need to do that. And I see it by how you give, and I see it by how you teach, and I see it by how everybody else in your in your church gives. It starts with you. Now, why is this such an issue with God? Again, it's in the scripture. And so let's go back to your favorite book in the Bible, Leviticus chapter 20, and let's read what Leviticus chapter 20 says, starting in verse 17. Listen to this Leviticus chapter 20. If you don't know where Leviticus is, it's in the Old Testament and it's in the beginning of the Bible. You've got Genesis, Exodus. Right, We've got some Bible scholars in here. Look at verse 17. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron, which was his brother and his sons and all the Israelites and say to them if any of you either an Israelite or an alien living in Israel presents a gift for a burnt offering to the Lord either to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering again there's there's other there's various ways you can do this i think i told you chapter 20 i meant chapter 22 i apologize chapter 22 this is what it says in verse 19 it says, You must present a male without defect from the cattle, sheep, or goats in order that it may be accepted on your behalf. Do not bring anything without a defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. When anyone brings from the herd or a flock a fellowship offering to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or as a free will offering, it must be without defect or blemish to be acceptable. Do not offer to the Lord the blind. The injured or the maimed or anything with warts or festering or running sores, do not place any of those on the altar as an offering made to the Lord by fire. Now, you can read some of those next verses, and I won't. But look at the very last portion of verse 25. It says, They will not be accepted on your behalf because they are deformed and have defects. I do not accept. Could you just imagine bringing something to God? You're saying, God, look what I've made, look what I've done, look what I've created for you. And God says, I do not accept this because it is unacceptable. Could you just imagine what that would do to you? Could you imagine if a father said that to his son? You know, my son brings home now like school projects, he's in school, and he brings these crafts home and And I thank God that he's learning things, but sometimes I just don't want these things home because they just lie around, and then they get squished, and then he gets upset, and then somehow I throw something away that wasn't supposed to be thrown away, and now I'm the bad guy. I didn't know. But he brings home these little crafts that he's doing, right? He's, like, learning how to cut things with scissors. And I'm like, you're teaching my kid how to cut things with scissors? You know, what are they doing? And so he brings these little things, and just imagine with me for a moment. You have kids. Your kid shows up, and they say, Dad, look what I made. And I said, Son, that's awful. It's horrible. In fact, that's it disrespect our name. You know, it's just, it's just imagine what I'd say. How would he feel? I'd be a horrible dad, horrible father. But that's what God is doing here in this moment. He's saying, he's looking to the Israelites and he's saying, what you've brought me, this, this, this is unacceptable. Wow, why would, why would a God say that? Because I thought I just needed to give what I could. I, I, I thought it was important for me just to, just to, just to show up and present whatever I had. But I want you to know that the priests didn't necessarily know that they were defiling the altar because they asked the question, which I would, I would assume is out of, out of it's a genuine question, because they say, how are we defiling your altar? Which means this didn't happen suddenly. This wasn't like all of a sudden, um, you know what, I know it's laid out, but we're not going to offer that anymore. We're just going to offer what we think is right and what we think is accurate. Let's just offer that. That's not how it happened. Because it was slowly, it was gradually, they kind of inched their way to start giving something, to start offering something that wasn't at the standards that God had set forth. It wasn't at the quality that God was wanting. Do you know this is how the enemy works, church? This is how the enemy works. He works on you. To not all of a sudden stop doing something that you're supposed to be doing, but he slowly gets you to stop here, to stop there, to maybe stop there, to eventually get you to a point where you think what you're doing is right and it's not. You know, the enemy doesn't say, Hey, you just stop going to church. No, the enemy says, Man, you're busy on this Sunday. You got a lot going on, it's been a stressful Saturday, you're kind of busy on that sa- Saturday. You know, you could just show up to that Saturday. You know what? Just show up when you can. The enemy may not say, you know, you need to stop giving. But the enemy might say, "Is you know, it's been a stressful week. It's been a stressful on our finances. I don't really know if we can even give this week or give this month. So maybe we'll just give a little bit here. Maybe we'll give a little bit there. And eventually we find ourselves giving, again, not with the right intentions, but giving a quality, not a quantity, a quality that isn't acceptable to God. And how good would the enemy feel about that? To watch you years from now, years from now, months from now, being in a place offering something that isn't set to God's standard, offering something that isn't what God is asking for. Here's a thought, and hear me out. Don't you think that the enemy would find more joy in you giving out of an ungrateful heart than really giving anything at all? Think about that for a moment. Don't you think the enemy might find some joy in you giving in a way that, that you're ungrateful, that you don't even care? Did you just nonchalantly kind of throw some things at God than, than than giving at all or not giving at all? In fact, he probably is laughing at you when you think that you are honoring God. Man, you're showing up, you're giving, you're showing up, you're tithing, you're showing up, you're worshiping, you're showing up, you know, you're reading. But it's not out of a place that is pure, it's not out of a place that is genuine, and if you you can get to that place where what you think you are offering is acceptable to God, but God clearly says it's unacceptable, then the enemy has won. Then the enemy is right now winning in your life of obedience and the quality of what you are supposed to give. The enemy is winning, listen, when I wasn't a Christian, you know, people weren't worried about what I gave. But now that I'm a Christian, it's like people worry about what I give. Why couldn't I just believe? Why does the Bible got to be so clear about what it is I'm supposed to give? Why does the church always talk about, why can't I just believe? Isn't that enough? Isn't that what Scripture says? I, I ran into this man at, at, uh, while well, I was studying the other day at a, at a marketplace, and, and he's walking around. And he's like, are you, are you reading the Bible? And I'm like, well, yes, I am. But I'm very, I'm very busy right now, so don't bother me. You know, I didn't say that. I was like, yeah, come grab a seat. He's just looking around. He was like just observing. And then he noticed me, and we kind of made eye contact. And I was looking at him, and he was looking at me. It got weird for a little bit because we were doing the sun, you know, the stare contest. And then he's like, are you reading the Bible? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, no way. He's like, I, I believe. I'm like, really? He's like, grab a seat. And we just start talking. And uh, we finally get to the point where I'm like, I'm kind of unsure if he really believes or not. And I, and I proposed the question. I said, hey, you know, if you, if you died tonight, where would you go? And he said, not heaven. I'm like, I was, I was like, what do you mean not heaven? You just told me that you believe, that you're trying to look for a church, that your girlfriend is, is a Christian, and but she hasn't. You know, he left, he left Buddhism years ago, and he said he converted to Christianity, and he's trying to find a church, and his girlfriend is whatever. And I'm like, do you not really know? And so I, I started to dive a little bit deeper into that question. Do you really know that you're saved? Because many people just, you know, just, just believe and then you're good. And that's what he said. I, I believe. And I asked him, well, has there been ev- any evidence of your belief over these past few years? And he said, no, that's why I'm not going to heaven. <laughs> and I was like, well, let me, let me speak into that a little bit, okay? Um, because when you do believe, that's all, that's all you need to do, right? You confess. You accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Come on, somebody. That's it. That's, that's all you need, right? But there should be some fruit that follows that belief, amen? And the problem is we have so many people who say they believe, but they don't live a lifestyle of belief. And so I had to kind of say like, I'm not sure if you really believed those years ago that you said you believed because there's been no evidence. So, but I didn't feel it was the time to jump in and dive in and say like, let's repent right now because he seemed like he knew a lot. So I was just, oh my God, let me just pray for this man and let me help him find a church because that's what he was looking for. He was looking for a church, he showed up to play ping pong because there was a ping pong table there because that's all I do when I sermon prep is play ping pong um no but he showed up to play ping pong and I'm like man God you showed up to play ping pong but God had you divinely sitting right next to me looking at me because there is some churches that you need to attend and go to but it's not just belief so God why can't I just why can't I just believe why you got to be so worried about what I give why you got to be so worried about how I worship why you got to be so worried about what I say can I just be a believer and cuss? Can't I just be a believer and just do what I love doing? Because that's, that's what some churches say. And I'm good. And I'm going to heaven. Oh, we're going to have a lot of Christians show up to heaven. And God is like, man, you preach my name. You sang the songs. You gave to my church. But I do not know you. And so, so he's calling out the priests who are saying, yes, you believe in me. But what you're giving to me isn't what I've required. The, the, the quality isn't, isn't where it should be. And and here's what I don't want you to miss, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Stop giving God what you won't miss. Stop giving God what you won't miss. If you're asking the question, what kind of quality am I supposed to be giving? Well, don't give God what you won't miss. In fact, go to 2 Samuel chapter 24. You know, don't go there. Let me just just share what's going on. King David um, has been disobedient to the Lord. Because God says, God tests David. He doesn't tempt David. He tests David. He says, David, come on, go take, a, go take a census of all the people who are in your land. Find out how many people you have on your, on your army. And David's like, well, I, I probably have a lot. And David gets some wise counsel to say, God is testing you. Don't do this because God never wanted you to do this. He clearly said it before. And now he's testing you to see if you're going to be prideful and go count all your people. Don't do it, David. But David avoids the wise counsel, and he does it anyways. And there's a punishment. Right? When you disobey God, there's a punishment. And so God sends David this prophet, and the prophet says, you got three options. God is going to bring down hell, and you got three options. You choose one, and David chooses one. The one he chooses caused 70,000 people to die in three days. God set a plank down to kill 70,000 people. In fact, the scripture says that God relented after what he did, and he pulled back the angel who was, who was afflicting all the damage and all the, and, all the, and all the killing. He pulled the angel back. This is just an interesting statement that God relented after something that he did. Well, the prophet comes back to David and says, David, you've you got to present an offering to God because of your mistake. Not only did 70,000 people die because of you, but you got to present an offering to God and repent. And David's like, i got to. And so he he goes to this, um, he finds this threshing floor, which is which was like the place where people often sacrifice things on, and he finds this threshing floor that he wants to purchase from this man by the name of Arana. This is 2 Samuel 24. And Arana sees King David approaching, and he's like, he's like, King David. Oh my gosh, what do you want? He says, I want to purchase your threshing floor because I have to make a sacrifice to God for my sin. And Arna, is like, don't purchase it. Here, have it. It's all yours. In fact, take, take the ox, take whatever you want. Take the best, David. And David says something remarkable. Certainly out of shame, but still remarkable. And he says this in verse 24. He says, no, I don't want it for free. I insist on paying you for it, for I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Write this down. If your sacrifice to God doesn't cost you, then it's not a sacrifice. If your sacrifice to God hasn't been costing you anything, then what are you sacrificing? You're just giving Him your leftover bag of popcorn that nobody's going to eat anyways. You'll eat it because you brought it, and you got to eat it or else it looks like you poisoned it. So you got to eat some of it. But you're bringing God your leftovers. That that's all you're bringing, and it's not costing you anything. It's not sacrificing um, anything in your life. It's just it's more convenient than sacrificial. And we have too many believers and too many Christians and too many churches who are walking by convenience than sacrifice. And that's a problem. Would you agree with me? That is a problem. God calls. He said, I need you to die to yourself. I need you to pick up, my, pick up your cross. and I need you to follow me. In fact, my dad said, I need you to hate your, your brother, your sister, your mom, your dad. Now, I'm not going to explain what that meant. So go back last week and listen to it. I mean, talk about a sacrifice. But yet, God, what I've been given for the past 20 years, what I've been given for the past 30 years or the past year that I've been a believer, um, it hasn't really cost me anything, so this is great. I still get to do what I love doing. I still get to hang out with the same friends that I've been hanging out with. I still get to listen to the same things, watch the same things, smoke the same things. This is great. Where is the sacrifice in that? It's like, you know what, I'm going to fast for the next 21 days, and uh, I'm going to fast going to the gym, but, you know, I really don't go to the gym, so I'm just going to fast going to the gym. You know what, I've heard this, people who hate coffee, they're like, I'm fasting coffee. And I'm like, I know you hate coffee. That's not going to honor God. What kind of sacrifice is that to you? Now, for those of you who drink, you know, four cups of coffee a day, sacrificing that for 21 days, you're now wondering whether you'd be alive or not. That would be a sacrifice, right? So have you been living and, and what you've been bringing to the table, what you've been offering to God, the quality, has it been sacrificial or has it been more convenient for you? This is easy. I can show up to church every Sunday and give a little bit here and there. It ain't breaking the bank, uh, breaking the bank account. This is, is not. But when you start to live sacrificially, you will start to find yourself on your knees every single night saying, God, I need you more than ever. And that's where God wants you. He doesn't want you to rely on anything else but him. And so we've got to be people who are giving sacrificially, not just out of... Out of convenience, if your sacrifice doesn't cost you anything, it's not a sacrifice. You're not giving God your best, you're giving him less. Just, just imagine that, you know, I know the Queen of England just passed. Imagine, and whether you agree with her or not, imagine if you walked into this room. What, what kind of time would you give her? What, what would be the quality of your time? You know, i got to use the restroom, i got to pick up my kid, i got got a God to eat. You know, I'm sure you wouldn't say any of those things. Imagine if, you know, the CEO that you love... Or the celebrity that you've been idolizing walked into your home? What kind of attention would you give them? What would be the quality of your attention? What would be the quality of your focus? I'm sure if you're watching TV and somebody showed up, what are you doing with that remote? You are turning the T. Unless it's the dolphins, you're going to mute the game because you got to see what's going on still. Okay? You know, don't, be, don't be offended. But you are giving the best of your time. The quality that you are going to give is going to be the best. In fact, look at verse 8 of Malachi 1. Go back to Malachi. Verse 8, the second part, it says, God says, try offering these kind of offerings, these kind of sacrifices to your governor. You think he'd be pleased with you? You think he would accept you? Your offering is an indication of what is in your heart. That's why God is so concerned about your heart. Because what I give is really what's going on in here. And so what I give out here is what's going on in here. And whether we're aware or not, right? Because like I said, the priests were like, we're not sure if we're defiling the altar. And God's like, clearly, let me bring you back to Leviticus chapter 22 to show you that you are defiling this altar. So whether it was intentionally or whether it was unintentionally, you've been defiling my altar. And what you're bringing to the table is not acceptable. Look at verse 9. It says, Now plead with God to be gracious to us. God, can we please win your favor back? How? Look, Look at what you're giving me. God, please be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Look at verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar for I am not pleased with you and I will accept no offering from your hand this whole cheap worship this whole faulty way of honoring my name it's ridiculous in fact it would be better for the church doors to close god wouldn't say that <laughs> The church is his bride. What if the bride's defiled? We know what his bride is supposed to look like. What if his bride has been polluted? Ah, God has established his church. No matter what's going on in there, no matter what kind of doctrine or theology they're preaching in there, that is God's church. You don't speak against his church, but what if that church has been polluted and defiled? God certainly has a different kind of judgment. I'm not saying I'm gonna be the one to call that out, but God certainly is gonna call that out. You better believe God is gonna call that out because that's not how his bride should look like. But why why would God say something like that? Well, can I go to Genesis chapter six with you? Can I talk about a moment in history where we all know, we've all learned, we've all seen the movies and the pictures about Noah and the flood. You know, why would God do that? I think we can ask that question here. Why would God do what he did in Genesis chapter 6. Do you know that it says in Genesis chapter 6 that God looked down upon the earth and that he was so disappointed? This is this is what he saw. He looked down upon the earth and he, he saw all of mankind and their wickedness. And it says that every inclination of their thoughts and their hearts was only evil all the time. So... Every inclination of mankind's thoughts in their heart was only evil. And it was only evil, not some of the time, but all the time. And so what was God's response? This is what he says in verse 6. He says, I regret making mankind. God wouldn't say that. (laughs) No way. (laughs) Read your Bible. Because this is what God says. Why would God ever say something like that? He says, I regret making mankind mankind. And so his response, he's just going to wipe them all off the face of the earth. Oh, but he finds one. His name? Noah. He couldn't find no one righteous, but he found Noah righteous. Let's see. You remember that, right? There you go. So he finds Noah and his family. And so he spares Noah's family. But it says that he wipes off mankind from the face of the earth. I could not believe God who says he is righteous would do such a thing. When these are his people who are supposed to be righteous. But what if there is none righteous? Doesn't that change now how God may govern? Doesn't that change now how God may lead and what God might do? What happens when there is no one except one, Noah, righteous? He sees fit to destroy an entire population and spare one family. Wow, God is a God of wrath. No, God is a God of love. Let me tell you the, the, the story of the flood because the story of the flood is one of God who, being all merciful, saw fit to restrain humanity's ever-increasing evil. He was not going to allow the enemy to win. And so it was more important for him to destroy everybody except one family than to keep everybody alive. This is Go back to, go back to um, um, Malachi. This is what he's saying. I'd rather shut the doors of the church than have a church that is offering defiled worship. you know a pastor by the name of David Guzik said this? We're often so concerned with church growth, evangelism, and planning churches, yet in some cases, the best thing we could do for the cause of the Lord is to shut the doors of many churches. Oh, can I ask you a question? Has your worship, has what you've been offering to God been defiled? Have you been giving God less than your best? Has what you've been giving been sacrificial, At all? Can I conclude and I'll finish this? is. We'll finish. This is verse 12. And I'm going to get back to verse 11. Look at verse 12. He says, But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say what a burden and you sniff at it contemptuously. In other words, you're saying, well worship really isn't that important. Again, remember you're hypocritical to say worship's important but you don't really worship well and you say it long enough, eventually you're going to say, well, worship is not that important, you know, and then eventually you might get to worship's really not that necessary because you've altered now your theology based upon how you are living. And so this is what, this is what the scripture's saying right here. Well, worship's really not that important. And God's like, well, who told you that? Who told you worship wasn't important? Who told you what the quality of what you brought to the church, to the offering, wasn't that important? Are you now superior to me, This is what God says. He says, when you bring injured, lame, and diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands? Look at verse 14. Cursed is the cheat. Who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty my name is to be feared among the nations. He said, I'm not going to put up with this. You're lying to me. You're cheating to me. You say you have things, and you say you're going to honor God with these things, but then what you bring is not not what you promised. What you brought to the table isn't what you said you were going to bring when you got saved. I'm all in, God. Have everything. A year later, "I'm, I'm sort of all in, God. Have some of the things. Ten years later, Man, do you remember when I was crazy, when I was all in? That was a joke because God didn't need all that. (laughs) He just wanted my heart and my belief, and that's all I gave him, and that's all he needs and nothing else. I hurt for you. If that's you, man, God is wanting so much more for you. God is wanting to bless you. God is wanting to do great things through you. But God is wanting to see you walk in obedience. And if you're like, God didn't want all that, well, then you have not been reading your Bible This is how you've got to know what God is wanting, what he is asking. Some of you are asking, God, show me a sign, give me a sign, give me a vision, give me a dream, God. Do something in the supernatural. God's like, just read your Bible. It's right in front of you. Come on, I'm not saying you can't pray for those things or ask for those things. Because when I was interested in my wife, I said, God, give me a sign in the clouds. Let it be yes or let it be no. (laughs) Well, there were no clouds that day, so I wasn't sure what God was saying. So I just kind of said, you know what, God, it's not a yes or a no, but you're just going to allow me to say yes. And so, yes, you know, it's like we're just asking for some crazy things. God, if I show up to church and the song they sing is the song that I was listening to, you know, last night, then I know. And you know what's crazy is sometimes God just surprises you and does that. It's like I've had the scripture that I've been meditating on my heart, and, Pastor, you preach that same scripture well, I preached that scripture and like a hundred other scriptures, but no, he was, I'm like, ah, maybe that's God. But if you really want to know what God is saying to you and what he wants you to do and how he wants you to give and the quality of what you're supposed to give, then I think it's time you dust off that Bible, whether it's a KJV or a new King James version or a NIV or should I say the message? Maybe not the message. You know, whatever. Maybe one of those Bibles. Just grab it out and start reading it. The kid that I was talking to at the restaurant or the, the marketplace I was at, I was like, you got a Bible? He's like, no, I don't got a Bible. He's like, but I got my phone Bible. And I was like, you still need to get a Bible, okay? So let's get you a Bible because this phone Bible can only take you so, so far. It can only do so much. So let's get you a real Bible and we'll put your name on it. He's like, I got a Bible my name on it. And I was like, As long as you're a level two Christian, you can get your name on it. All right, let's go. We're going to get there. He's like, wow. But if you really want to know what God is asking and what he's doing and what he's calling you to give and what he's calling through Malachi, it's it's, it's right here. Cursed is the cheat, he says in verse 14. Cursed are you, you are liars, you're cheaters. He's speaking his mind. The priests have betrayed him. They haven't honored his name. And, and that, that lack of honor has now trickled down to the people in the temple. That lack of honor has now trickled down to, to us today and our churches today. Here we find ourselves today trying to give God less than our best. Whether it's intentional or whether it's unintentional, God is saying it is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. You could do better than that. Stop giving me less than your best. You can do better than that. He says in verse 11, for my name will be great among you. From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, says the Lord Almighty. How, how should we respond to this? What do we do? Where do we go from here? Can I read one, one more passage in, in the book of Hebrews? Because what should my response be? I, I know I've got to read the Bible. But God, as, as you're concerned about the quality of what I'm giving, what, what should I start doing? Can I read what Hebrews chapter 13 says? You can put it up on the screen. This is what Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. It says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Again, we know what that word sacrifice means. It's got to cost you something. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Come on, how many want God to be pleased with what you give? Come on, if that's you, would you stand to your feet? God is looking for a church. God is looking for a people. God is looking for somebody in this place to say, God, I'm not going to be ashamed by how I live. I'm not going to be ashamed by how I give. In fact, Lord, what I want to give to you today, what I want to offer to you today, I want it to be a sacrifice of praise. Come on, I want it to be a sacrifice of praise. God, you have all of me, not just some of me. And you're not gonna have less, but God, you are going to have the best. Come on, if that's you, would you just lift your hands and say, God, would you help me live a life of sacrifice? Lord, would you help me live a life of praise? God, would you help me? Come on, just tell Him, Would you help me live a life that is of hallelujah, God? Meaning, God, be praised. Lord, I wanna give you the highest praise in this place. Come on, I wanna give you the highest praise in this place. Father, would you help me? Would you help me live such a way that is honoring to you and honoring to your name, God? God, I want to live a life that is worthy. I want to live a life that is honoring to you, Father. Come on, I surrender. Come on, would you declare this truth out this morning? Come
0: on, would you sing?